Welcome to Make It Click and our special anniversary re-release episodes. Make It Click is celebrating one whole year of podcasts and community building, and in celebration, I wanted to share two of my favorite episodes from our first few months of recording back in 2021. These episodes were previously only available on the Make It Click Patreon, and you can head there for even more episodes, plus lots of fun new upcoming events. I'm excited to share these special conversations with you as we celebrate the Make It Click anniversary, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Jenna Tady. I'm a certified trainer and behavior consultant based in Longmont, Colorado, and I also make snuffle mats and doggy bandanas. Ooh, we love a good doggy bandana and a good snuffle mat. Um, And uh, you guys can't see Jenna, but she uh, let me know that she has a potato on her lap. Can you tell me a little bit about that potato? Yes, I have a potato on my lap. He is a nine-year-old, just turned nine, uh, French bulldog. uh, And he has been, I've been to a lot of training schools uh, and programs. He has been perhaps my best teacher. He has taught me the full spectrum of dog training since I've had him. And uh, full disclaimer here, uh, he emits noises from both ends. And <laughs> so should you hear a snort or a snore, a grumble, um, it is not my GI system. It is the dog. So d- please don't be alarmed or concerned for my health. <laughs> I, l- I love that disclaimer so much. <laughs> So uh, when I first reached out to you about doing this podcast episode, um, I really enjoyed the topic that we ended up coming up with, which is a little bit about, um, or a lot about, uh, reframing kind of the the why and how we live with dogs. Um, So before we jump into the, like, specifics of that, what was it that got you thinking about this topic to begin with? Yeah, so I, um, like a lot of people, I came into dog training by way of um, animal welfare. At the time, mm. I was in New York City, and I was doing. I was used to be a professional dog photographer, and I was cool. yeah, it was very fun. I was doing pro bono uh, photography for um, rescues and shelters in the area, and sort of started to become a bit uh, a bit more aware and in tune with behavior. Um, and I, by chance went on a trip to Germany with my sister-in-law. She had, she's a, um, gosh, what kind of art does she do? She does little fun, little knit creatures of not creatures. Yeah. I love that. So she makes art with them and it's amazing. And so she had a, a gallery showing in Berlin and I went with her. And the gallery there was across from this park. And I would sit in the gallery and look out onto the, the street and the park across the street. And if there could have been classical music playing, there should have been. Because I watched dogs just as part of society in the most beautiful way. And... I, we were there for, I think a week and I, I just like dogs in the park, just no, no fence, no nothing, just sort of existing while their people sat there or maybe someone was throwing a ball and like people would walk by the gallery with their dog, not, 
largely not on leash, just sort of following them. And as I wandered around Berlin, like dogs were everywhere. And I was like, what is this place? Where am I? What is this land I have happened upon? (laughs) Yeah, it was like this magical canine wonderland where dogs were very much a part of society in a very, like there was just this natural coexistence, which coming from Brooklyn, New York, it was like going to a different planet because there you go in the park and people are like breaking up dog fights and there's lots of yelling and -and so-and-so come here and oh no, someone's like, it's just mayhem. Like loved it, but it was also very stressful. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So that got me thinking a lot about what what what's so different here that this is able to happen on a daily basis? Like it wasn't like a, a fluke, like, oh, I just happened to be in Berlin on the day that all the dogs that I saw happened to be perfect citizens. And not perfect, right? They're not they're dogs, but um so yeah, it, it got me thinking. So that that was sort of the spark. Yeah. And I feel like especially coming from, like you mentioned, an environment where you got to see such a vast difference in how dogs out in the world were, I'm not even going to say were behaving, but were allowed to exist. Yeah. And I feel like that's more of the root of it. Yeah. And and there was no, from what I could see, there was no like control at play right Mm -hmm. like dogs were on very short leashes and not like they were like they may as well have been people in dog costumes just sort of (laughs) milling about (laughs) um so it was very interesting and I had the chance to go back to Berlin I think two years later Mm. and I was like I'm going to do a very unscientific study and I'm going to I'm going to photograph and interview dog owners in Berlin. Now Very my cool. samples, yeah, my sample size was limited to uh, people that could speak English, right? <laughs> and people sure. my introverted self was brave enough to approach. So wasn't a huge sample size, not huge, but I basically approached a number of. Uh, dog guardians throughout that trip and ask them a series of questions just sort of trying to why did you get a dog um how long do you leave your dog alone like things like that just sort of trying to get a feel for their relationship with the dog and when I asked people how long they left their dog alone like it was like I asked them why they eat shoes like the way humans eat shoes that they were just like I don't understand the question um that's so interesting yeah they were like well why would I leave my why would I have a dog if I was going to leave it alone most of the time Mm -hmm. I was like whoa okay like fair enough um so there was a lot of like things that here are perhaps more normal that there was just not a part of dog guardianship. Mm -hmm. I know I've heard, um, and I don't know if this is something that specifically you encountered, but I know that things like, um, or I've heard that things like crate training are a lot more common in the U S than in European countries. Um, 
which, you know, we, I mean, I do find crate training super helpful for, you know, puppies or dogs that, you know, need to be confined for whatever reason or teaching them to be fine in a crate to go to the vet's office, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's like, that's one of the, that's one of the only little factoids that I know. Um, yeah. But I would guess that just knowing that, that there were a number of answers to questions that you got that were, were quite different and that Very would sort of turn on some light bulbs. Yeah. And I should also explain that dog ownership, just just ownership in Germany is very regulated. Mm. So you have a crate, there, I, I believe it's law, I don't know if it's in every state, but there is a law that exists in at least some states in Ger- Germany that you can only keep your dog in a crate for a maximum of a set number of hours. Um, and I don't have that information, but I think it's like, it's either two or five, which I know is a big window, but you, it is a law that you cannot leave a dog in a crate for more than that. Um, and even five, you know, a handful of hours is still a pretty short period of time Yeah, in the scheme yeah. of a day, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, you know, and I think as I talk about this, I think it's, important for people to know that like in Germany's constitution, they have animal welfare as part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's heavily regulated. Like I think there's one state where you have to pass a test to have a dog. Like you cannot just acquire a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's fascinating. And it's also worth noting that Germany is a country that has their canine population under control uh, to a degree that they, sorry, that they don't <laughs> have to euthanize for space. So, right. Or lack of resources. Um, right. So right. And I really, I appreciate that you made that distinction too, because both of those things are so important. It's like overpopulation and then, okay, great. We might have space for these dogs, but can we actually care for them? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a, fascinating country and you know training is is regulated um so training is regulated there's no uh they do not allow prong or shock collars there Mm. um so there's just a it's very dog centric i guess Mm. Mm -hmm. and what i feel like the overlying theme that i discovered from interviewing these guardians and learning a little bit more about the regulations is that the difference is that there they get a dog in order to enhance and better the dog's life. And I feel that here, largely people acquire a dog to enhance or better their life. And, and I feel like it's a it's indicative of such an interesting, uh, I'll say like cultural difference of yes. that's kind of what we're taught that dogs are in the U.S. At least in my experience, is like you get a dog because you want a dog. Yep. Yeah. You know, and I think there there's some shifting in some circles of getting a dog because you 
want to make the dog's life as awesome as possible, which is great, (laughs) you know, um, or people who get a dog and then realize that that's an option that you can spend your life with your dog as making this life as awesome as possible for your dog. And they're like, Oh yeah, that that's what I'm looking for. Um, you know, but it's not as much of a default here as it seems to be some other places. Right. Yeah. And again, I think, I think, you know, here, a lot of people frown upon over-regulating and things like that, right? There's a large part of the population mm-hmm. that is very against that. And there it's just sort of par for the course. So regulating having a pet is normal here where, or no, sorry, there. It's normal there. Whereas yeah. here, like, I think there would be an uproar. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's just interesting. So anyway, that's what got me thinking about it. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Um, did you, I'm just curious with like talking to people in Germany, um, were there any other questions that you asked that you can remember there being like specific surprising responses from people? Uh, there was a man with an Irish setter that I interviewed who talked about how he had, he had divorced his wife and they had, um, incorporated the dog into the divorce in a way that the dog would never be left with someone that wasn't one of them. So like if he had to travel for work, you know, it was required and I don't think she would have fought it anyway, but the dog would go stay with her rather than with a sitter. So Mm -hmm. a, a custody agreement for the dog, um, in the dog's best interest so that it would always be with a family member. Wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um yeah, very neat. Wow. Yeah. So when you when you were traveling to Germany either time, um did you did you have Ruben yet or did Ruben come after? Yeah, so interestingly enough, the second time I went to Germany was right before Ruben came into my life. Mm. He was not supposed to be my dog. Um, he was coming to stay with me for a temporarily, um, he was destined to be a show dog, believe it or not. And his, his, I mean, he's perfect. So obviously that's, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, meet another dog that snorts as epically as him. I mean, you're not going to get that. Um, yeah. So she sent him to me because, and feel free to edit this out. Uh, but he was supposed to be a show dog. She wasn't sure. He had some like confirmation fault that she thought he would potentially grow out of. And so she wanted to send him to me. I wasn't technically a trainer yet. I was sort of just getting into it. She sent him to me uh, to sort of live in a non show dog household, like sort of live normally and acclimate to living in a normal household. Should she decide? Yeah. That she was not going to keep him to show him. So he would be like completely shell shocked (laughs) if he needed to go somewhere else. That makes sense. Yeah. So he stayed with me. He was with me for a week. I noticed some funky thing on his eye, which turned out to be a very, uh, I think it's called a teratoma or a tetratoma uh, tumor growth. 
oh. which is genetic. It's like when people have like teeth on their neck, it, it's like a, <laughs> so yeah, he had a hairy eyeball essentially. Oh my goodness. Um, and she said, because it was genetic, she did not want that to pass down the lines. And um, she was like, okay, he can't be a show dog. He's going to be a pet dog. And I admittedly, despite not wanting a dog at the time, had fallen in <laughs> love with him. And she asked if I wanted to keep him. And the answer was yes. And here we are. <laughs> and he will forevermore be your potato. <laughs> and and thus he became my potato. So that, <laughs> he came into my life right after my trip to Germany. And I had a few months prior lost my... Um, my prior dog had passed away and I was mm. very much not in the mindset of having another dog. And then one magically came to me right after this trip where I was, had gone through this process. And yeah, so I, that, that was a really long answer to. No, I love that. I, I love hearing about dogs origin stories. It it, it brings me a lot of joy. Okay. Um, did you feel like when, when he came into your life, were you sort of like, did you actively have like thoughts milling about in your head resulting from your Germany trip? Or did that sort of come to culmination later on in your journey with Ruben? I think I was still processing it. Mm -hmm. And I think I've had to process it over time because I did, grow up here. I've had dogs here. And so it was, I've sort of had this mindset with previous dogs of the dog is right. It's a companion and all of that. But I, I, I admittedly think it was very me focused um, rather than focused on the dog. And so that shift definitely started after Ruben. Like it was, it was like a little seed that was planted and that gradually grew. And I think the biggest realization for me was I was one of those dog owners that got a dog. And I was like, what can this dog's purpose be? Can he be a service dog? Can he be an agility champion? Like I was determined to find this quote unquote purpose for him. And I took uh, this little potato who is now, I will say he's a less active potato. <laughs> um, when he was a puppy, he was a very, like potato wasn't even in the vocabulary for him. He was more energizer buddy, bunny. So um, I took him to get started in a library program where children read to dogs. Oh, yes. <laughs> And I want you to imagine the Tasmanian devil in a library, uh, just sort of climbing all over children and causing chaos. And I was like, huh, maybe this isn't the right match for this dog. I'll Which I'm sure to, he was having a grand old time. He was having a blast. I feel like the people that... Uh, organized the program were just mortified. Um, but <laughs> you know, we gave it a shot. And and then I thought, oh well he'll 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 do, we'll be like the French bulldog that does agility. And we went to agility with uh, an instructor who um, took things very seriously and 
uh, Ruben and I tend not to take things very seriously if we don't have to. And love that. He was, yeah, he was just having a blast, like running on all of the equipment, and like there was no rhyme or reason to it. And I was just like, oh man, he's having a blast. And meanwhile, the uh, trainer was just like, yeah, what is going on? Like she, she was very not happy with our joy. And I was just like, why can't I just let this dog be a dog? Like, why can't that be his quote unquote purpose? Like, this is my, this is my dog. Like he can just be a dog. And once I made that shift, I feel like a lot of things changed for me. Mm. Um, in terms of how I looked with looked at him, interacted with him, and my ability to handle behavioral issues that came up over the years, <laughs> which have been many, admittedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone out there is thinking that trainers have perfect dogs all of the time, yeah, well, I'm the perfect in quotes. Yeah, no, our dogs also get into mischief. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and as that seed grew and his behavior changed over time, it was like the perfect, they coincided perfectly. Mm. And um, I think I, you know, not that his behavioral issues are not a struggle at times and challenging, but I was able to sort of reframe how I reacted to them and responded to them and adapted my life and was more willing to adapt my life to help him. I really, I love the way you phrase that of like being willing to adapt your life, because I think sometimes if people aren't quite ready to make that shift in reframing, it, it feels like they approach it as, oh, you have to make all of these changes. Whereas I enjoy making changes and adjustments. Like I'm very willing to do that because I get to see the the really lovely implications of that with my dogs, with my relationship with them, with their behavior, <laughs> you know, but it's not a, we have to do that. It's that we, we want to, we're willing to make those adjustments, which I think is such an important distinction. Absolutely. We've had some minor adjustments and some big ones, like with the separation anxiety that, you know, that has been a big shift, but I guess I always have, since I went to Germany, I've always had this sort of image in my head of if dogs could go shopping for their people, if mm. dogs could go out to a a human shelter, <laughs> analogy, and select their human, I want to be like, what would they pick, right? And so when I look at Ruben and I'm feeling super stressed or feeling like frazzled by that adaptation, I sort of think, okay, you've got to be the person he would pick, right? Oh, I love that. (laughs) You've got to be the person he would pick in this moment to help him through this, right? He would have chosen the person that can help him and adjust to meet his needs. And mm-hmm. he, that was a snort from him. I just want to clarify. He's making an appearance. There he is. I don't know if that's coming in on the audio, but you're welcome. <laughs> <if it> did. 
my hope is that we can end this podcast recording with just like a one minute clip of just Ruben Ruben sounds. <laughs> and the outro will just be Ruben sounds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, it, it gets me thinking a lot um, about my relationship with my own dogs. Um, my, so my dog Molly was not only my first dog as an adult, but she was my first dog ever because growing up my mom was allergic slash not really comfortable um, with dogs. So I would like insert myself into the lives of all of my friends and neighbors that had dogs um, (laughs) and offer to walk them like six times a day, because that's a normal (laughs) amount that a child (laughs) wants to be walking dogs. Um, But when, when we got Molly, the reasoning behind getting her was entirely human centric. Um, it was back in, oh gosh, what year did we get her? She came home with us in 2014. Yeah, 2014. Um, and prior to that, in in 2013, I had been, long story short, I got bitten in the face by a dog, had to have reconstructive surgery. It was like oh a whole God. thing. Um, and was then petrified of dogs. <laughs> understandable and so i was like well hey the way to fix this is just to like get a dog right that's a normal (laughs) thing to do (laughs) wow so getting molly was very human centric um you know and after that you know i'm forever grateful for her because she's what got me started with training um discovering positive reinforcement a a little while later uh discovering like the positive reinforcement training world was a game changer for us and that was when for me i felt like some of that shift in reframing started to happen but um like i wish that i had had some of the just the like little flames flickering similarly to how you did with you know being able to see that there there were differences in other places and like oh hey maybe (laughs) maybe some of that can be applied here Yeah. And it's, again, like, I don't fault anyone for having that thing, right? Because it's just part of our culture here. Um, But oh my gosh, kudos to you for getting bit in the face by a dog. And (laughs) my God, that's like, you're like, I'm committing to this. I gotta, I gotta get over this. That's, (laughs) that's major. (laughs) Well, thanks. I uh, I really just decided that, I mean, because again, I was that kid that was like, can I walk your dog? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be like that kid again. So we're going to make well, that happen. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned the six walks a day because in Germany, I, I believe it's countrywide, they passed a law that you have to walk the dog two times a day. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So you would have been like above and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been getting like a special commendation for yeah. They would have been like, oh, she's the best. She do. <laughs> she does six. Amazing. Um, you know, I'd be now. I now I'm having ideas about like other very non uh, professional studies that I could do about asking people in other countries. Like, I'm curious about things like, you know, if you have a if you have a reactive dog, are you still required to walk your dog twice a day? Or is reactivity less common because dogs social and emotional needs are being met in a different way and their social learning is different. And like, these aren't necessarily things you have need to have answers to. It's just things that I'm now ruminating on because I find it fascinating. I think there's so much to 
explore about it, right? And I think I would love to go back someday and do another very unofficial study with a little more confidence. Um, but it, right, like it's really interesting. Um, I have done a little bit of reading, minimal of, you know, behavior there. And I think because dogs are such, are integrated into society so much that people really like are dedicated to training. And I think the shelters there because, right, it's not as, um, I don't want to say a desperate situation, but there, it's just, it's, it's, um, at a level where they're able to really, interview their adopters where they ask, you know, are you committed to training? How are you going to conduct that training? Um, I think they're a little more strict with their adoption policies. Mm. Um, But because, sorry, wow, I've really gone like on a detour here, but. um, No, that's totally fine. We love a good detour. (laughs) Come along for the ride with me. Um, I think because dogs are, you know, if you have a dog and you're they're coming with you on the public transportation and going to you with you to the shops that people really do put an emphasis on training and making sure that their dog can be. And, you know, I I also want to say that Germany has some regulations and laws that I don't agree with when it comes to dogs regarding breeds. So I think that's worth saying. I don't Mm. think it's perfect, but um, it's, it's def- it's definitely interesting. It would be interesting yeah. to see how the regulations impact behavior, right? Like mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Um, so I, th- I just think there's a lot to explore there that maybe someday if I ever travel again, I'll go back there and we can go together, Liz. We're going to go to Berlin. Perfect. I was going to say, yeah. I've been to Berlin once. I was there in 2008. Well, okay. So it's been a minute. <laughs> Yeah. Well, my trip was in 2012, 2011 and 2013. So, okay. You know. Yeah. So we're, we're due for another trip. So uh, if anyone wants to sponsor Jenna and I going to Germany. Yes. Please send funds. Um, (laughs) I'll send you a snuffle mat. Perfect. This will give you a Patreon membership. Perfect. Uh, for a minimum of, we need like a dollar amount here. We've got to get <laughs> It's going to be high. We need airfare. We need accommodations. Like, and this is remember, this is for the dogs. This is for uh, information gathering purposes. So, uh... <laughs> very important research to benefit canines around the globe. So, <laughs> no. And there will be no beer drinking or no. fun to be had. This no, is fully. Research. We'll look on um, reviews for like the worst restaurants, and we that's exclusively where we're going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not gonna have fun, guys. No, it's <laughs> <your> business. <laughs> well, I fully support that. <laughs> so I know you you touched on it a little bit uh, first, talking about like the the, the differences you saw in Germany. Um, but I'm interested in your take on. The, the aspect of welfare. So like, you know, obviously animal welfare is the world that you came from be- even before going to Germany. Um, but kind of what's your, what's your take on 
how the sort of the why and the how of having dogs is impacting welfare potentially. So again, this is not scientifically based. This is anecdotes from Jenna, but I anecdotes from Jenna, only a new segment. This is uh, the make it click podcast segment called anecdotes from Jenna. So I, I thought a lot about this and I think, I think where I thought about this reframing the most is with my clients. And, um, I feel like these days I do a lot less, let's do this behavior protocol and a lot more, I'm not, I'm not a therapist, but a lot more like, let's dig deep into why this is an issue. Um, and I think a lot of a a common thing that I hear is, well, I want to be able to take my dog my reactive dog for hikes. I want to be able to take my, uh, um, my God, I can't think of any other behavior issue, which is just embarrassing. Um, (laughs) I want my dog to play with all other dogs, Mm -hmm. dogs, right? So I think when we get a dog that from a, a standpoint of, I want the dog for me, a more human centric, reasoning that we have a picture of what living with a dog is. And when dog comes into the home and doesn't fit into that picture, we have instant tension and conflict. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we can reframe and say, well, why, you know, I want to get a dog what if this dog has this issue? What if the dog doesn't or has a health issue at some point that they can't go for hikes? What if like, I think if we think about those what ifs and we're not willing to compromise, then I think it's okay to not get a dog, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I think it's okay or to, to really wait until a good match for you and for the dog comes right like totally and again i go back to this like if the dogs could shop (laughs) can we be the humans that they would choose Mm -hmm. um and so i you know okay so dog i you know i human go and get dog i don't know why i'm talking like a caveman um (laughs) but i am for this segment i go and get dog and i bring dog into my home and dog does not fit this picture that I have painted in my head of dog and I want to fix the dog to fit into my picture. I think that's when people resort to aversive training. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they fall into the trap of punitive trainers saying, I can fix this. I can get your dog to your dog that hates other dogs to go to the dog park and with you, right? Like all of these things that make us nauseous to think about. Um, but I think that comes from that mindset of I want a dog for me and dog is not fitting into my life. Mm-hmm. And I think it doesn't help that our society in general is very much fix it oriented in a lot of ways. Like, oh, right. here's a problem. This is how you fix it. This right. is how you make it into the thing that you want. Right. Yep. Like that's just a very normal thing that we're all 
accustomed to. It's not necessarily like awful. (laughs) You know, it doesn't make us bad people or anything. That's just how we as a society are sort of taught to look at things. So I think it's very, it's very natural to see, okay, here's a, a problem. I'll put problem in quotes. Here's a problem behavior. Yes. I need it fixed, right? I need it fixed and I need it fixed in a specific way that will fit the thing that I, I as the human need in this moment. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And one thing that of worth noting that I think is really interesting is here, I think the larger consensus when a dog has a behavior issue, it is a, the dog is the problem. And I have heard, and I remember one person that I interviewed in Germany, and I've, I've heard this sort of throughout the years from people from Europe, is that when there is a behavior problem, the human is the problem. Mm. It's really interesting, right? And and I don't say that to like shame, like, my God, my dog has a host of behavior issues. And I'm not saying like, I. it's not that I cause them. It's just that right when it, we focus on the the human quote unquote being the problem mm-hmm. i don't necessarily like that phrasing but it's on me to change and learn and adapt to help my dog through that right Rather it's like than, it's not it's not the dog's job to fix it right it's the human's job to figure out how to best support their dog to help their dog maybe behave differently or maybe behave the same way, just in a more appropriate context. You know, there's like a lot of different options. <laughs> right? Or, oh, I really want to go to the dog park with my dog. Right. I'm bringing this example up a lot. It's not something I, I mean, I've heard it, but it's not like I'm acting like it happens every day, but <laughs> I want to take my dog that doesn't like interacting with other dogs to the dog park. And that's where I might ask, right. If we look at it from a, a dog behavior needing to change aspect. Oof, that seems like quite a doozy of a project and mm-hmm. unrealistic and probably inhumane. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I say, oh, it's a human problem. Oh, I enjoy going to the dog park. Maybe, right? I love seeing all the other dogs. Maybe I leave my dog at home. And I go and be the weirdo that goes to the dog park without a dog because I just want to enjoy the the dogs. Like, yeah. So when you sort of reframe it from the dog is the problem to, right? Like, or an example of like, I have clients who, oh, I want to be able to walk down this street. Oh, well, why do you want to walk down that street? Well, it's so pretty (laughs) and the the trees are all changing and what. These are terrible examples. I'm sorry. No, that's, it's true though. You know, and you can, I feel like you, it sometimes feels like we have to like give people permission to do things to fill their own cup and fill their own needs too. Cause like we talk a lot as trainers about like meeting our dog's needs and, and we can meet the human's needs too. And sometimes those two things might happen in very different ways and that's perfectly fine. Like maybe your dog's needs are best going to be met by, you know, hanging out at home with some white noise machine on and one of Jenna's snuffle mats because there's construction on the street. And maybe while your dog is doing that, the human is taking a stroll down this other street that is beautiful, but maybe has a lot of foot traffic and your dog isn't ready for that. Right. Like both of those needs can be met. They don't necessarily have to be met through the exact same activity. 
Exactly. Yeah. And and again, like I think if you're stuck on the dog is the problem, that light bulb can't go off. And what mm-hmm. an easy solution, right? Like it, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like bash training. Obviously I love training and <laughs> do that and recommend it and teach it. But I think there are a lot of things where if we can really look at the specific situation and like you said, the needs of both, we can come up with a solution that requires at least maybe in the meantime, no training. Hey, the leaves are changing. You love that street, but it's heavily trafficked with other dogs. Yeah. Go take a walk by yourself. Leave the dog at home with a think smart snuffle mat. Thanks for the plug, Liz. And, <laughs> and but, right. Like that battle doesn't need to happen. Mm-hmm. And then what it does, like you can spend, you can spend a month walking down that road by yourself, leaving your dog at home, work on training exercises at home where you're not putting the dog in the situation. And then when it's, when you're ready, but right. Like, but there's not that like desperation to fix it, quote unquote. Um, yeah. And yeah. I feel like that kind of reframe too. it also, it's not quite the right phrase I'm looking for, but like it gives people permission to, use things like management techniques. You know what I mean? Where it's management is not an out. <laughs> like if we're saying, okay, our management technique is going to be not to walk on this street with my dog. That's perfectly acceptable and honestly recommended in many situations. <laughs> you know, but like letting the humans know like, hey, that's a perfectly acceptable choice to make. You don't have to you know, go through this situation, you know, right this moment, if it's something you want to work towards, if that's something that is going to be beneficial for you and for your dog, great, we can work on that. But we don't have to force ourselves to do things that are stressful for one or both parties, just for the sake of saying, you know, well, I, I want to walk down this street. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> why? You know, like getting back to what you said about asking the, the why questions, you know, what's what's the goal? Yeah. So yeah, and again, right, if it's, I need to be able to walk down the street with my dog and my dog is not allowing that, does that person then resort to a punitive trainer who promises the behavior will stop in two days, whatever, unrealistic thing that they say. And they, right, like they just approach it from that, just fixing it. Mm -hmm. And then we have that impacts welfare. Right. As someone who's a crossover trainer, like I understand the appeal of someone being like, Hey, I can fix that for you. Oh yeah. That thing that's really impacting your daily life. I can fix that. You know, you might not have to make too many adjustments to your daily routine. I can fix that. That's so appealing. (laughs) Right. And I wish that, you know, there was more, I mean, this is a whole, it's a slight dive into uh, training methodologies, you know, cause like as, as someone who fell for that a little bit at the beginning because I didn't know better. Yep. Like it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks to realize that what you were sort of promised wasn't actually going to come true. And then there's a like a bit of a depression that kicks in when you're trying to figure out like, oh crap, what do I do now? Yeah. But <laughs> you know, uh this this kind of reframing and like recommitting to doing different stuff ends up you know, impacting 
our dog's behavior and our dog's lives and our lives and our relationship with them in such beautiful ways that it's like totally 100% worth it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I, I, full disclosure, like before I got into training, I knew nothing and I grew up with a dog on a choke chain because we just had, we didn't know. Right. So said like, this will fix it. And we didn't really take the time to notice that it never did fix anything. But um yeah, there's just that that sort of hope of this will resolve all the problems. And yeah. um I wish, especially with our, our my childhood dog, we had done that reframing. Um you know, we kind of just to be honest, we let things just be. I mean, we had a we had an Akita that we were not probably equipped to have. <laughs> And we're probably in over our heads, but I think we just, I guess we did reframe in a way in that we just sort of surrendered to like, this is who the dog is. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, if you're you're thinking about sort of like the average pet guardian, like we've been talking about how, you know, we, we all are sort of primed to be more in the mindset of getting dogs because we want them. And, you know, you can get a dog to fulfill the dog's needs and also get a dog because you want a dog. Both of those things can exist, right? Um, but if we're thinking about sort of reframing the the getting the dog for the dog, do you have thoughts on sort of some of the, the areas or their spaces that pet guardians can look at to adjust their mindset? Yes. I So when I lived in the city... I used to teach uh, what to expect when you're expecting to get a dog course. Oh, I love that. Which was geared towards people that hadn't yet acquired a dog. But, oh, there's Ruben for a little uh, input. Um, (laughs) That hadn't yet acquired a dog, but they were thinking about it. And, like, I wasn't doing anything groundbreaking, but I just sort of gave a course on like, this is what having a dog is like. And of course this information is, this was a free class, by the way, I was not charging people for this very Googleable information, but um, a lot of people came to that and they were like, Oh, this is Mm. a lot more work than I thought. I am not ready to get a dog. I am not ready to change my life for a dog, which there's no shame in that. I would know. So I was going to say like kudos to those people for recognizing that beforehand. Yeah. And it was weird because it like, it wasn't designed to be a class to discourage people from getting dogs, but I do, obviously I love dogs and want people to have them. But for me, it was so much of a victory to prevent, right. The dog that didn't get to go shopping for their human to end up in a home that is not the home they would have picked. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I want to capture that sentence. That was so yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it for me, it was that helped people reframe from I want a dog because I want to do this and I want to do that and da, da, da. and it's like oh, I might not be able to travel as much. Oh, I might need right, like oh oh I, I'm thinking of having a kid and the dog might not like the kid. Like oh like I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And I feel like it's a good way too of getting on people's radars. Cause like every, you know, everybody's 
also everybody's like deal breaker for why they wouldn't would or wouldn't get a dog might be different. Yes. But for everybody to have that information and if you discover while you're gaining knowledge that like you do love to travel and you don't have a good option for someone to watch your dog when you're gone, that might be a deal breaker for you. It might not if you are, you know, in a place in your life where you you want to make adjustments to your travel schedule, but like if that's the thing, it's much better to know that beforehand than to get a dog and have everyone <laughs> be frustrated and not getting not getting their needs met, right? Yeah. And I I think that is what sparked my teaching that class was that I felt that there were so many uh training clients that I went to and I appreciate every one of them, but there were so many where I felt like I was doing damage control rather than, right? It was just like, oh my God, this is such a horrible mismatch. And the needs are so different. Like there's not a lot I can do, which nobody feels good about. And it was just sort of one of those things where I was like, man, I wish I could have, I wish these people had had, you know, the, whatever bit of information before they acquired this dog. Yeah. And so that's what sparked. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to provide that information for free to people. And then it was really interesting because there were the people that came and they were like, I will adapt to anything that a dog needs. And I'm like, oh, that dog would shop for you. That dog would pick you. Right. Like they would be going from room to room. Oh, that's, that's the human I want. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that was exciting too, because I felt like that was a, a dog owner that was really, or sorry, dog guardian that was really looking at it um, from the perspective of, yeah, I want to have a dog to as a companion and also to provide that dog with their utopia, whatever yeah. that would look like. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Do you, do you find that there are sort of certain questions that you encourage people to ask just sort of about themselves and about their life that are helpful for like figuring out a, if it's the right time for a dog and B, what kind of dog might be right for them? I think asking yourself how much you're willing to adapt. And I say that as someone who probably would have answered the question differently before I got Ruben and have, you know, as his needs have changed, I have had to adapt like drastically. Um, Right. And I think, I think a good question to ask yourself is let's say I end up with the dream dog tomorrow and in a year he is a different dog. Will I be willing to adapt? Will I be able to accept those changes and adapt to accommodate those changes? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how willing am I to pivot? Because Ruben is a dog that has, like, his behavioral needs have changed drastically over the years. And, you know, I used to be able to go away for a week and leave him with a sitter, with a friend or a family member. And now, and I love traveling, but I cannot travel now. And as much as that is a sacrifice I've had to make, I again, I remind myself that his time on this planet is short. 
and I will have plenty of time. But we're not going to talk about that. Our dogs are going to live forever. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I don't know what, what gibberish just came out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, and then I'll be able to travel someday again, but right now I've committed to this dog and these are Mm -hmm. his needs and that's a sacrifice I can make. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not a sacrifice everyone can make. And I don't, I'm not shaming anyone or like dumbing my nose at them. Right. But I think we have to, when we bring a living being into our lives that isn't here for just a week, um, that we have to, we have to change. I mean, it's like a relationship, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're making a commitment of some degree, right? Hopefully a strong one. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, people change, dogs behavior change, their medical needs change. Like there's so much Mm -hmm. that can change and we have to be willing to pivot as those things, as those changes occur. Yeah. And you know, the, the pivoting might require more or less time and effort and resources depending on the situation, but at least being, you know, open and willing to make adjustments is going to go a long way towards I think what you were saying about, you know, just the way we think about life with our dogs, you know, even though they're immortal and are never going to leave us. Right. They're going to live forever, which is great. We don't have to worry about that. Um, But I, I do encourage people. I know it's such like a silly image to have in your head, but I do tell people if you're going to get a dog, like think of five of your friends or family members and you're all in the, human store and your dog is, you know, checking them out. You know, I'm gonna, let, let me have a little meet and greet with that one. Right. Can you, do you think you would be the person that they would choose? And if not, that's okay. Maybe in two years you will be. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to wait those two years to, to welcome that dog into your home. Um, so I, it, again, it's like a super silly image but again like they don't have a choice and there are so many dogs that thrive despite maybe not being with the human they would have right they they adapt so i think the least we can do is adapt yeah totally oh this makes me really happy this whole conversation And like, again, I know I'm not going to like change the entire American culture revolving around dogs. That is not like realistic, but I do hope that just having that idea in the back of people's minds can help them better make a decision. Um, And also like, even if, okay, maybe you're not the person that the um, pug would choose right like maybe you're like an avid outdoors person and you have your heart set on a pug and the pug is shopping and there's someone who's a likes to sit at home and watch netflix all day and then you the avid hiker which one do you think the pug is going to choose my money's on the netflix watcher which is great right but then there's um you know the australian shepherd mix that loves to go outside and the Netflix person is not the person they would choose. You are the person they would choose. So I think, again, having that silly image in our mind maybe helps us let go of our, what we like maybe based on 
looks or Mm -hmm. something like that and really commit to um, choosing a dog that would choose us um, that has a similar lifestyle, needs, desires, likes, all of that stuff. And even if, you know, say, say the pug does choose the avid hiker, maybe it's because the pug wants to go for one hike a week and then the human is perfectly willing and able to make the adjustment to have the pug hang out with a friend on other times when they go hiking and the pug is perfectly happy. Maybe the hiker's friend is someone who is the Netflix watcher and the pug can then spend the rest of their time there, you know? So like those kind of adjustments I think are so helpful to just have in our, in our brains. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, again, I know it's a really weird image, but it is helpful. <laughs> I'm picturing like a, you know, if you've ever been to an animal shelter that has like a meet and greet room where you can interact with a specific animal, I'm picturing that, but where the dogs are waiting in the room for the humans to come in and <laughs> I, I have, feeding us cheese, you know? <laughs> yeah, I dream about doing a video where I'm like dressed up in a dog costume and like going from kennel to kennel, like looking at the different humans. I just, if someone wants to steal that idea and make it happen, by all means do. I think it would be nice for and funny for people to see that image. And I just, um, Liz has learned I'm a little technologically uh, uh, not good. I can't even, I can't even talk anymore. So I'm, I can't speak or do technology. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I think this topic is super interesting and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what people's sort of thoughts and questions are about it. I think we can have some really cool conversations. Um, So if people wanted to connect with you outside of Patreon, where are the best places to find you? You can find me on Instagram. Liz, I have to look up my handle. (laughs) Jenna is at think smart dog training. Thank you. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> I often second guess my Instagram handle and it's literally the same as my website and my email. So yeah. you know what guys, there's only so much information we can store in our brains. I'm not smart and I didn't have my email the same as my Instagram handle. It is my business name. So you would think it would be easy, but I can't ever remember if the dog is in there. If it's just think smart training What's the character limit for those Instagram handles? If it was dog training, is that too long? There was such a thought process in that like two second pause of me not knowing it that I just I just want to be very uh, open and honest with everyone. That <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> look in my brain. You're welcome. You're welcome. So yeah, Instagram is a great place. Um, I my inbox is always open to people who want to, even if you just want to have a Zoom call and um, chat with me about this. Uh, I'm a hundred percent open to that. I love talking, as Liz has probably learned tonight. Um, my email is dogtrainingbyjenna at gmail.com, which is nothing like my Instagram handle. So that's, <laughs> but uh, still relates to you. Um, and I'll link both of those in the show notes for this episode. So if anybody wants to uh, chat with Jenna, she's a lovely human. So thank you. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I'm honored. And likewise. <laughs> well, thank you. You can email well, thank me you. to talk yeah. to you guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll set it up. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been so enjoyable and I very much appreciate it. Oh, thank you. This has been awesome. And I hope everyone enjoys it and hopefully gets a few chuckles at least out of you. <laughs> I am pretty sure that it will. Okay. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode. New Make It Click episodes are released once a month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. So make sure to hit subscribe to find out when new episodes drop. If you're enjoying our chat so far, I would love it if you would consider joining us on Patreon. Patreon members receive exclusive access to additional podcast episodes, live office hours with me, a certified dog trainer, and are invited to fun and educational community events like enrichment creation gatherings and webinars. You can learn more about supporting the podcast and joining the Make It Click Club community at patreon.com slash makeitclick. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at makeitclick.club for episode updates and training info. You can also find me, Liz, on my training business account on Instagram at Rover Rehab NJ. Thanks for listening. <laughs>